official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Before I jump into the message, I just want to ask any prayer warriors in the room. Um, I want to just throw out a prayer request to you. This is something that's been on my heart for a while, and I just thought I'd share with, share it real quick this morning. Um, uh, for about, I don't know, six months or so, every Sunday, whoever is speaking gets sick. Uh, and it's not a joke. Like, there have been maybe like one out of seven times where the person who's speaking on our teaching team doesn't get sick. Like, every time Tara has spoke, she got sick. Mark was sick last week. I've been fighting the flu all week, so I'm going to keep my distance and not shake hands this morning. But but I, I just I wanted to throw that out there. I don't believe that that is coincidence. <laughs> you know, I believe that there's something to spiritual warfare. So I'm asking you guys as, a, as our church family, lift up our teaching team, lift up those who share God's word in our church. And uh, and we would so appreciate that. And uh, we we would like to not be getting sick every time we speak. That that'd be that'd be awesome. So, um, yeah, right. So I uh, just wanted to throw that prayer request out to you. Um, it's been kind of a crazy morning, but but uh, I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. Um, we're starting a new sermon series this morning called Growing Pains. And uh, and I really honestly wanted to recreate the 90s sitcom Growing Pains intro, like with all of the church staff, you know, like me being the dad and, you know, like maybe Karen Wiles being the mom and stuff. I don't know, but we we didn't have time to throw that together, but that would have been so fun, right? Sorry. Sorry about that. Now you guys are let down that we didn't do that. (laughs) Awesome. But uh, today we're starting a new sermon series called Growing Pains, and, and life is full of growing pains, isn't it? Like whether it's a newborn baby who cries because he, they have this unrelenting appetite because their body is growing so fast or, or maybe it's those toddler years when, when they want so badly to communicate, but don't quite have the words yet. Or, or what about those adolescent years where we as parents can't keep our kids in clothes and shoes that fit because they're growing by leaps and bounds every day, right? And, and then there are those teenage years where their emotions are all out of whack and, and they feel everything on 11, right? And, and, and in those years, the parents experience growing pains too because the amount of money that leaves their wallet grows for those clothes and shoes because they become wildly more expensive, right? And, uh, and it goes on and on and on right up through adulthood. And, and whether we like it or not, we never stop growing, And growing is is never easy. Uh, my two boys, thanks, Mark. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Thanks, buddy. Uh, whether we like it or not, we never ever stop growing. And, and growing is never easy. My two boys are growing up so fast, and I mean, like literally, my wife can wear my oldest son Dylan's shoes, like for crying out loud. She can wear his shoes. He's ten years old. And I say to him all the time, like, guys, just 
we please just stop growing? Stop growing. And, and, and my little Owen, who's sitting right there, will say, uh, Daddy, I would if I could, but I just can't. Right? Because growing up is unavoidable, at least physically. Like, I think my wife would probably argue mentally growing up, you know, that's questionable. But physically, growing up is, is unavoidable. And, and, and so are growing pains, the, the growing pains that go along with it. I remember when I was a kid, it didn't matter what age I was. I couldn't wait to be older. I, it didn't matter what age I was. I couldn't wait to be older. When I was seven, I wanted to be ten because those those were double digits, right? You know, and and and, and ten ten years old, like they they were cool and like they had seen things, right? And 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 then when I was ten, I wanted to be twelve because twelve year olds had like legit bike privileges, like you could ride back and forth to school by yourself, and like you got some freedom, right? And but when I was 12, I couldn't wait to be 16 because then you could drive a car and you could get in all kinds of trouble really far away from your house. <laughs> and I could go on and on and on because that's the way it is when you're young. And then at some point you have a birthday and you're like, wait, what? I'm, I'm 37? Like, stop this train. I want to get off, right? <laughs> like, like <sighs> when we're young, we feel like, there's always something better for us and just beyond where we are. And part of that is natural, but I also, I, I think it's partially because we live in this world that feeds that to us and, and tells us constantly that we're not good enough the way we are, right? Uh, we're pummeled with messages about that. We're pummeled with message after message that says, we need to wear these clothes, drive this car, have this phone, play this video game, own this purse, wear these shoes. And, and if you don't, you aren't good enough. And if you can't participate in these things, you aren't truly living. Right? I think this, me- I, I, I think this message that the world sends us is the reason why social media is not called reality media. Because we all know that social media is like looking at someone's embellished resume, right? It's like it shows all of the good and, and kind of puffed up a little bit of the good and, and hardly any of the bad, right? And because because people use it people use it to make themselves look like the coolest, best, most desirable version of themselves when the reality of their life is much, much different. Being a Jesus follower is tough, especially in the world we live in, because the world says that if you're not a millionaire, you're not hashtag blessed, right? And Jesus says things like, you're truly blessed. The truly blessed ones are the poor in spirit, right? The world says that if someone wrongs you, you have the right to get revenge. But Jesus says Things like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The world says that you should do whatever you want that makes you happy because your happiness is the most important thing. But Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The world says, blessed, uh, the world blesses those who are, are extremely popular. 
for they shall receive the most Instagram followers, right? But Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world says, you don't have to look out for anybody but yourself, number one, right? But Jesus says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. No one ever said following Jesus is easy, right? Because the truth is Jesus is difficult. Uh, he, he is so contradictory to the world that we live in. And, and that means we, as Christ followers, are called to live contradictory lives. Lives that don't point to ourselves and how great we are, but lives that continually point to Jesus, right? No, no one understood this better than this preacher um, in the book of John in the New Testament. Uh, he, he, we find him in the book of John, and his name is John. Um, and, and John the Baptist, more specifically, and he got that name because, well, he baptized a lot of people. Um, that was a joke. Um, but also true. But also true. <laughs> John was a little older than Jesus. We, we know this because in, in Luke chapter 1, right before the angel comes to visit Mary, right, in the Christmas story to tell her that she's going to give birth to a son and she shall call him Jesus. And the angel, right before the angel visits Mary, um, an angel visits this old priest named Zechariah. And, and Zechariah had a wife who was a relative of Mary's, and her name was Elizabeth. And she was barren, and, and, and the couple had no children. And, but the angel told Zechariah that even in their old age, Elizabeth would conceive a son, and they should call his name John. And that the Holy Spirit would be upon him, and he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord God. There's also a beautiful account of when Mary goes to visit um, Elizabeth, after the angel shares with her all, all the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy and, and, and that when she goes to visit Elizabeth and sees that she's pregnant, that's how she will know that everything he said is true. And when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and they meet the baby, John, in Elizabeth's uh, belly, leaps for joy. At their meeting, and Mary begins to magnify and sing praises to the Lord. And, and what the angel told Zechariah concerning his son John was absolutely true. Many, many years later, as John became a man, he was directed by the Holy Spirit to begin performing baptisms of repentance. And this was supposed to symbolize the forgiveness of sins. And so he, so he did just that. John started baptizing people in all the surrounding regions and, and preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And, well, as you can imagine, this caused quite a stir, right? And, and the Jewish religious leaders of the day started to take notice of what was going on. And they began to wonder, who is this man that's baptizing all these people? And, and they started to wonder, maybe this, maybe this guy is the savior we've been waiting for, right? And, and, and so we can pick up that story right, right there in John 
chapter 1, verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? That's the key question right there. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he whom comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So, so let's pause there for a second. So the Jewish religious leaders begin to sit up and take notice and pay attention to John. They were wondering, who is this man that's performing all these baptis- the baptisms for so many people, right? And, and, and this was John's big moment, right? Uh, a chance to make a name for himself. Anyone else getting all this attention surely would have been at least tempted to use it as an opportunity to prove how knowledgeable they were about the scriptures or to prove their deep understanding of the law or maybe even gain notoriety so they might want to have more people follow them as students. The leaders take notice of John and people begin to buzz about him and so they finally break down and they just ask, are you the savior? And John just simply replies, no. Well, are you Elijah? Nope. Well, then you must, you must be the prophet then. No. Then getting frustrated, I'm sure they say, well, you're doing a whole lot of teaching and baptizing for someone who isn't any of these things. So one, who the heck are you? And two, what gives you the right? And John again simply responds in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John continues on, and instead of defending himself in his rights, he points them to Jesus, right? He says, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he whom comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I love that. Let's keep reading. Let's pick it up in, in, in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold! The Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him all that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, now let's pause there for a second. So what just happened? Like, so let's, let's, let's recap what just happened. John is with his squad, right? John's with his squad and he's, and he's, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees Jesus, right, coming his way. And John just begins to proclaim in a loud voice, behold, the Lamb of God. And after he does this, uh, you know, his two students literally get up and leave and follow Jesus. I mean, in the words of Michelle Tanner, how rude, right? How rude, how rude. And John doesn't even seem to be mad about it. People were probably looking at John like, are you going to let them walk away like that? Bro, you, you, you got to get your priorities straight. Like, you, you need to get your squad goals in order, man. Like, but, but John did have his priorities straight. He completely understood his role. He said to himself that his, he said himself that his sole purpose was to be the voice crying out that the Lord is coming. John knew that he himself wasn't the final destination for people. But his job was to be the compass that always pointed true north. The compass that always pointed them to the final destination. The true Lamb of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ. John wasn't confused or conflicted at all about what his role was. But other people didn't get it. Not even John's own disciples. Let's skip ahead to chapter 3 where John's disciples come and tell him that Jesus is kind of stealing his thunder, basically. Um, So uh, John chapter 3, verse 25 Skip ahead, John chapter 3, verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answers, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, my joy is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. 
He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure, the Father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. So John's disciples come up to him, right? And they and they point out to him like, hey, man, Jesus is now baptizing too. And, and lots of people are going over to him to get baptized, like as if it was a competition, right? And, and John responds very bluntly like, look, bro, you still don't get it, right? It's not a competition, right? As John, like, (laughs) I've already told you that I wasn't the Christ. And and I've already told you that my job is to point people to him. And then he goes on to make this beautiful analogy about a bride and a groom, which if you're not careful, you can miss the meaning of. John says in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And in the Old Testament, Israel is often referred to as God's bride. And John is saying, I'm not the groom for this bride. Jesus is the groom. If I'm anybody, I'm a groomsman. Right? The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, This joy of mine is now complete. Just like a groomsman is there to assist the groom because it's actually the groom's big day. And and when the groom makes his vows to his bride, the groomsman shares in the joy of both the bride and the groom, even though it's not about him. This was John's role all along. He was the groomsman, not the bridegroom. The one John was the one who was there to focus the attention on Jesus, to prepare the way. And now that Jesus had started his ministry, his joy was now complete. And what John says in the next verse, in verse 30, I actually, I think I need to have it like tattooed on my forehead so that every time I look in the mirror, I see it. Like, um, I, I don't think my wife will actually let me do that. But, um, but in verse 30, John says about Jesus, he says, he must increase. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. What does that mean? Can I just ask you that? He, he must increase, but I must decrease. And, and what does that look like for us today in the world that we live in? A world that wants us to make everything about just that, us, right? For us to seek Jesus' increase in our lives mean that we have to make it less about us and more about him. 
And that's the growing pains of being a Christian because the world wants us to make everything about us. Gain more, buy more, post more pictures of yourself, why don't you? Like, you know, they... But seeking God's increase in our life means making it less about us and more about him. And a key ingredient of seeking God's increase in our life is humility in our hearts. It means that by the standards of this world, we may look foolish from time to time like John did. And we have to be okay with that. And so today, guys, I just want to ask you, are you the compass that points consistently true north? Where are you directing people to? If we were to look at your social media feed, and and social media is fun, like, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's good for cat videos and stuff like that. And, you know, but like if we were to look at your social media, if you were to look at mine, let's take mine, would it point, would it point you to Jesus or would it point you to stuff about me? Like these are the kind of questions that we as Christ followers have to ask because Jesus is contradictory to this world. And that means we have to live contradictory lives as Christ followers. And so I just want you to think about that. Are you pointing people to the final destination or are you making yourself the final destination? So as the worship team comes back up at this point, I just want to invite us all to bow our heads. We're going to take communion in a minute. But I just want us to spend a few moments in prayer just silently. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then when you're ready, I just want to invite you forward to take communion when you're, when you're ready. We have some on each side of the stage here. Um, but let's just spend a few moments quietly evaluating our hearts in prayer and, and where we're at as far as seeking God's increase in our lives. So let's just spend a few moments in prayer. So, Father God, we come before you now and we just, Lord, we declare, God, that we, Lord, are not the final destination. Lord, that you are, God. That your worship and praise are what we care about, Lord. Father, we... We give you all glory and adoration in this place. And Father, we, we ask you, Lord, to help us evaluate our own lives 
through the course of the week of what seeking your increase looks like. And not only, Father, are you worthy of our praise, but you declare that you are the bread of life. And whoever comes to you will never grow hungry. And whoever believes in you will never be thirsty. So, Lord, we claim that truth, Lord. Father, help us to begin to point people to you. And it may be painful, God. We understand that, Lord. But we remember, Father, the the road you took to the cross, Lord, the painful road, Lord. God, and we and we remember how you asked us to remember you, Father. And we do, Lord. We remember you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and sang, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, we are waiting for you to come again. We are patiently, patiently waiting, Lord. And we seek your increase in our homes, Lord. We seek your increase in this church, Lord. We seek your increase in this city, Lord. Father, you must increase and we must decrease. So, Father, as we turn our eyes to communion now, we remember you and we proclaim your death and resurrection and that you are coming again. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.